0: Tuned into the constructionist podcast, and tonight we are continuing our now 10 part series on the body constructing a new you. So, tonight's topic is on mental health, it's our mini series, and this is part two of two parts. So, if you've missed last week, please go back and listen to that as you after you listen to part two. And we'll be discussing how mental health affects our lives, affects our mind, affects our spirit, also affects our body. So our guest tonight is Tiffany Russell. She is a licensed school psychologist for a local district here in the Portland Metro area. And it's important to note that this podcast is separate from her work at the district and does not fully represent the policies um, set forth by the state of Oregon. So rather our focus tonight is an open discussion about children's mental health and mental health in general. We're going to look at early age detection of mental health and also treatment options and treatment options for children. So as hosts, we want to make it clear that we're not professionals or practitioners in the realm of mental health or psychology. Our aim is to just facilitate an honest and informative discussion on this important topic. This is an important topic and dear to my heart since I have struggled with mental health in my life as well and many of my friends and the people that I'm connected with do. It's not a hidden topic and it's something that my friends and the connections in my community that I have, we like to talk about it openly because we find it healthy to help one another find the resources that we need. And so our Our commitment and also our encouragement is that if you are struggling with mental health issues or you just perceive that you need help in some way when it comes to your mental health, we want you to go to a licensed counselor. And so, somebody that is a licensed practitioner in the area of psychology, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a licensed counselor in your state, we want to encourage you to connect to one of those professionals for your mental health. So as constructionists, we are the constructionist podcast, and our goal is to equip you with the tools to create a relevant and compassionate worldview that can guide you through your life. So an important part of this is making sure that we take care of ourselves first. And so it'd be very difficult and we can't really love in a whole way if we're not loving self and it can be very difficult to ex- extend care if we're not caring for self. So we highly recommend that we would take care of self-care and mental health care, physical care, um, nutrition care, all the topics that we've talked about in the body. We wanna encourage you to, um, to do this in your life. We, we wanna recommend a TED Talk by Dan Harris on TED.com. His name's Dan Harris. The title of the pod, of the TED Talk is The Benefit of Not Being a Jerk to Yourself. We find this to be a powerful and insightful talk that explores the topic and importance of self-compassion and its positive impact on your mental health and well being. It's a valuable resource. It's a quick 20 minute listen. And so we want to encourage you in your journey of self care. And maybe just that video or some resources that we give tonight would be helpful for your personal growth. So, in previous podcasts, we've talked about this idea. That if we deconstruct old ideas or if we break down let's say old thinking or understanding it's all too easy to fall back into old patterns and behaviors ultimately ending up in the same place that we uh, were before so that's why we believe that it's important to create a new framework a new vision a new pathway forward, a new guide to help us break down old habits and toxic behaviors and create new positive habits in our life something fresh, something constructive to hold on to as we move forward. I think without it, we run some risks in falling back to poor or or bad uh, mistakes or perpetuating harmful patterns. So this is our thinking space. This is a place where we just get together and talk about things that we find important we think that the world of mental health is an important exploration an important journey that we need to be open about and and just transparent and vulnerable when it's safe to do so and so we like to share ideas and thoughts in this realm Um, and today we're striving to just articulate practical thoughts maybe a little practical theology practical ideas that would help us in our daily life so in the last 10-part series, we have covered these topics so far. First is goal setting, habits and toxic behaviors, self-concept and beauty. Fitness and nutrition was a two-part series uh, with Stacey Cannon on cipher.life if you want to connect in to what she offers. Spiritual practice and meditation, healthy relationships, a two-part series. This is the second one on mental health and then the all-important neglected rest um, and and recovery um, is gonna be our last podcast next week. So note to our supporters, first and foremost, we want and we find it important that you engage with us, interact with us, ask questions, maybe on the social media channel that you're listening to in the chat box, in the comment section, you can interact with us and that way it'll automatically pop up so you're listening live tonight those will automatically pop up. We'll be able to answer those questions. And we want you to ask questions tonight. And we want you to ask bold questions tonight. Just ask us anything. And Tiffany's here to help us guide through those questions to give responsible answers from a professional's perspective. Um, Also during the week, if you're listening to this off of Thursday night, During the week, we attempt to answer all the questions that are asked throughout the week as well. If you want to financially support us, you can go to ResonateLife.org. That's going to be provided in the chat box as well. And, And go to the Give tab. That'll take you to a Give site where you can financially support us so we can provide valuable content like this in the future. So mental health, part two, that's where we're at. I just want to address something really important since I'm a pastor in the local community here in the in the Portland metro area. I can speak on behalf of my profession and also my perspective when it comes to faith communities and leading a faith community myself and also being in the faith communities faith communities that I've led in the last 25 years. The church has not done a good job in addressing mental health. We really have not we haven't done a good job in promoting professional mental health or encouraging people to to enter into a journey of counseling we just have not done it we've had theological bad theology we've had theological practices where we've actually told people things like um, if you would just pray harder you can overcome depression if you would just Pray that the devil would leave you, like you had some demonic oppression or or possession in your life. Um, That the mental illness that you have is like a spirit, a demonic spirit inside of you that needed to be cast out. Or if you were suffering from depression or any mental illness in general, it was common to say that you didn't have the fullness of Christ in you. Those kind of statements are toxic. They're absolutely wrong. We don't support them at all. They're unhealthy. And on behalf of all the pastors, if I could say I'm sorry, I know that I can't, can't say I'm sorry for everybody, but the way that we've behaved around mental health has been completely inappropriate. I don't find it um, biblical. I don't find it uh, philosophically healthy. I don't find it culturally good, I don't find it just being a human being to another human being. It's not loving to look at another person and not encourage them to go to a licensed professional counselor or to, um, or to even maybe they needed medication. So, so to go on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety, there's been so many things that the church has done. And have promoted, I know a pastor that got up in front of a bunch of people and said, you don't need to take your antidepressant or anti-anxiety drugs go off of them. Now that's dangerous. If anyone ever tells you to go off of your antidepressants, anxiety or panic attack medications, please just walk away. From that session, walk away from that voice. That is not what you need to do. There's licensed professional people who can guide you through medication, counseling, and therapy and help. So, mental health. So, I just needed to just give that caveat as that's my professional, my profession, and my professional opinion that we need to promote professional help in mental illness care. So mental illness is one of the most common health conditions in the United States. These statistics I gave last week, I'm going to give them again. One in five Americans experience mental um, illness in a given year. One in five children, either currently or some point in their young life, have a serious debilitating mental illness. And Tiffany is going to inform us about some some experiences that she's had one in 25 Americans live with a serious mental illness, such as bipolar disorder, a a clinical depression, or even schizophrenia. One in 25 Americans in the United States. So if you start doing the math on that, Mental illness is a part of our culture. It's a part of our communities. It's in our homes, it's in our families, it's in our churches, it's in our workplaces, and we need to take this seriously. Another thought is there's not one single cause to mental illness. It's very dynamic. There's a number of factors that contribute to either the risk for or the actual mental illness. And so early experiences, of course, trauma and PTSD and early history of of abuse, child abuse or sexual assault or witnessing violence of some kind, Um, experiencing medical conditions, ongoing chronic illness and disease like cancer, diabetes, some biological factors like chemical imbalances in the brain, serotonin levels and such. Um, The use of drugs and alcohol can affect our mental health and having just isolation. So we saw a lot of mental health emergence out of COVID isolation. And so isolation and loneliness or alone, too much aloneness can, can, you can have feelings, and, and those feelings can turn into depression. So one thing that I do want to mention, though, is the challenge with mental illness, especially in our United States of America, where we have this American dream that everything's supposed to be happy, happy, joy, joy, that mental illness has a stigma around it. We don't want to talk about it. People are afraid of it. People think you're weird when you have it. People think you're wrong. People tell you to get over it. People say all kinds of things. And that is called stigma. Stigma can be summed up in three words. We stereotype the illness. That leads to prejudice in our beliefs about the illness and that leads to discrimination or action of the illness. So we had this idea about the illness, usually uninformed, completely irresponsible, which leads us to start treating people a certain way and we have a stigma. So a good website to go to is stampoutstigma.com. Stampoutstigma.com. We do not We'll support them, not financially, but verbally. We're not getting anything for promoting their website, but they do have some good resources about how to stamp out all kinds of stigma, stereotypes, prejudices, and discriminations, especially in the realm of mental illness. All right, enough of me, because we brought on a special guest tiffany russell is a licensed professional school counselor in our local area in a district again what she's going to say tonight is not connected to her work in the district it's totally independent and her own thoughts and so we are very excited to have her with us and our first topic that we're going to start talking about just openly is what is mental illness and how do we identify it what causes it Let's talk about early detection. So Tiffany, tell us generally what your thoughts are on mental illness in general, but also what is it and how can we identify it?
1: Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely, um,
1: and Thank you for apologizing on behalf of the church.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Um,
1: yeah, so we'll get into that later. But um, so just like you said, um, there are many causes for, um, mental illness. Um, genetics play a huge role, physical trauma, uh, psychological trauma, brain injury, and then environmental factors like poverty, racism, discrimination, um, being in an active war zone, things like that, that are environmental. Um, it's important to note that just because these things have happened to you, doesn't mean that you're, destined to become mentally ill um but they are um there are factors in um in the likelihood that you will develop a mental illness and for children um detection of mental illness um there more and more research is being done on on young children because um back in the 80s they said that a child couldn't be diagnosed with a mental illness until they were seven years old. And mm. uh, they're diagnosing children with serious mental illnesses now at the age of one. Um, wow. So it, it's rare. Um, it's it's rare um, to have a mental illness as a young child, but it's even more rare to be diagnosed because like, a one- So why
0: seven? Like what's the seven? What was that delineation I think, there?
1: I think that, they thought that children weren't able to think for themselves until that age,
0: mm.
3: um, okay. which Obvious sounds permanence or what is I yeah, forget that.
1: That's the developmental stage of of early childhood, um, but like you know, it goes along with like rationalizing thought and things like that. What cause and effect. What,
3: what would be a a, di- a standard diagnosis for a mental? ill child at the age of seven like you're talking about like chronic depression bipolar like yeah. what
1: i think yeah i think uh, most common would be depression and anxiety okay. um they're finally they're talking about having adhd not be part of a mental illness category <laughs> but it still is um mm neurological disorder. And in my personal opinion, it it definitely seems more like um, just a different different ability um, instead of a disability. but um,
0: my friends I don't call know. it their superpower.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: because uh, <laughs> they can think in all these realms. let's let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. Yeah. Uh, we want to make sure that we're delineating between mm-hmm. mental illness and neurodivergence and explain what neurodivergence is first and then like kind of bounce back and forth. Like, how can we delineate between the two?
1: Yeah. So neurodivergence is just um, someone's brain that works in a different way than is typical and typical is very relative. Right. So. Right. um, So we, you know, the group of doctors that decided on this disorder of, let's say, autism or ADHD, um, they decided that the brain isn't working correctly. um, But what we're really finding is that it's just working in a different way than is typical. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what neurodivergence means is that your brain is working in a different way than what would be considered typical. Yeah.
0: So autism is neurodivergence. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, mental illness depression autism and being autistic can lend itself to being depressed as well somebody with autism can be depressed but it's not necessarily yeah. the cause or
1: yeah, it's yeah directly
0: yeah. related yeah
1: so mental illness is when a person experiences a significant change in thinking emotion or behavior mm-hmm. so a mm-hmm. child with adhd has likely had that that brain chemistry when they were born or soon after, and same with a person with autism, they've, they've likely had those, um, those neural pathways in a way that are, is different from a typical child, meaning that it's not a significant change in after behavior, they
3: vaccinated, right? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah.
3: Oh.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah,
1: well, we're not going to talk about that, <laughs> um,
2: um would you say that um being neurodivergent is a contributing factor um when it comes to mental illness because the world isn't necessarily built for you
1: yes in exactly the same way that um people in the lgbtq community are 47 Mm. percent more likely to develop a mental illness Mm -hmm. not because Mm -hmm. of their gender or sexuality but because the way the Treats them so. Yes, so that'd be exactly. More
3: environmental.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with racism. So... Same with oppression. Same with poverty. Um, poverty doesn't cause mental illness, but the way that you have to interact and work mm-hmm. and stress in the world can cause that mental illness.
0: Yeah. So, not to get too technical, but I've read some things on ADHD that it's a it's a lowered executive function of the brain which is because of an underdeveloped section of the brain so if it's an underdeveloped section of the brain um that what we used to call the reptilian brain i'm not sure what it's called now but we used to call it that the reptile brain our executive function Mm -hmm. Uh, so that would be neurodivergence in a traditional form Mm -hmm. yeah Because you you just don't, that doesn't happen just because of external factors.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So,
0: so so with somebody with um, early trauma, like anxiety. So I'm in the, I'm in the adoption realm because both of my children are adopted and they have adoption trauma. So that's very easily any child that. Goes through a trauma, it's it's very easy to see adoption trauma. So, what are some signs of children? You know, because we have, you know, uh, sexual abuse. We have traumas of all kinds when it comes to children. Violence at home, uh, neglect um, from parents and and caregivers of the children. So, what are the early signs? of, of a child that we can see that they're actually developing a mental illness. What have you seen?
1: Um, I think definitely that, that big change in behavior. Um, but parents and caregivers really have to be careful about ruling other possibilities out. Okay. So, um, what I mean is like, during the snow day, my 11 year old was on Minecraft for about mm, 24 hours because I was
2: working. <laughs> right.
1: And after that long period of time on a screen, he was acting insane. So okay. that's a big change in behavior, but it's not because he's mentally ill. There was a factor involved. Okay. So gonna have to tease those out, like, um, just because a child is being abused doesn't mean they have a mental illness so Mm -hmm. if you you feel like your child is behaving differently then you might want to explore um the causes of what that could be um so asking questions um observation being very like strategic about um what um, media they're exposed to what friends they're exposed to whose whose homes they're exposed to so kind of making sure that there isn't um, those external factors um, impacting their behavior or their emotions. And then if, if it's not, then you might ask questions to your pediatrician like, hey, is, is this something typical for, for a child, a five-year-old, or is this something typical for a three-year-old to be experiencing? Um, so getting feedback from professionals is definitely something that yeah. I would recommend.
0: Yes. And so as well, it's easy to maybe easy, maybe that's not a good uh, word to use maybe a little more um, clear to look at a child with neurodivergence that they're not developing in a certain area Mm -hmm. as fast. Maybe they're not talking, walking or motor skills are not happening um, according Mm -hmm. to the charts. Uh, but when it comes to mental illness, what you said, teasing out these like, okay, what is what is happening in the world and why is my child like reacting to this? Because I'm sure in the school, things happen all at once. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have a hundred kids that are experiencing all of this, you know, craziness because they all like took three days off of school and now they have to go back to school and they're all like angry about it or whatever, um, versus the one child that comes to you and they're just like dealing and crunching through their emotions.
1: Yeah. And I think for parents also just, just like when we see adults with depression or anxiety, just, um, not being able to get through their normal activities, um, becoming really Mm -hmm. fatigued for no reason, having like, somatic symptoms like l- a lot of tummy aches and headaches and um not being able to sleep things like that those are all like early warning signs that something probably isn't isn't right um mm-hmm. and you know warrants further exploration of of symptoms
0: right genetics you brought up genetics mm-hmm. How, tell me about that like like that brings up, OK, my dad was depressed, therefore I'm depressed. My mom has schizophrenia, therefore I have schizophrenia. I mean, like, my mom was borderline. Do I have borderline like is that a real thing?
1: Um, mental health or mental illness can be genetic, but it's not. Um, there's not enough research right now um, that shows direct correlations and like gene sequencing and things like that. But um, when whenever we do um intakes and whenever we're exploring um treatment and diagnoses we're always we're always asking parents um about their own mental health history and their and their um you know whether Mm -hmm. it's on the maternal side or the paternal side because certain disorders are passed down um through different sides of the family Mm -hmm. um more commonly not not it's not a guarantee like i said it's if your mom was borderline it doesn't mean you're going to be um just like if your mom is an alcoholic it doesn't mean you're going to be but you're definitely more likely um, to be
0: yeah mm-hmm. and you also have the environment of growing up around that mental illness so that's a factor as well by the time you're 12 years old being around a borderline parent
2: mhm um
0: you're, either, you're something. You're either on the, either the you're wanting to move out, or something's that. going on.
1: Right, right, and and that's not necessarily because your mother had a mental illness. It's because the environment, um, right. that you are raised in, and your attachment and all that of that was was correlated, and now you are trying to make meaning of that.
0: Yeah, so attachment style. You actually brought this up in a different topic in a private discussion I was having with you about something completely different. But attachment style, we have a secure attachment. We have avoidant avoidance attachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the other attachment styles? Um,
1: anxious and disorganized. Anxious
0: and disorganized. So disorganized is the one that is most often related to traumas and connected to trauma but anxious and um and avoidant Avoidant. can be as well Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's different behavioral patterns we just want to encourage people if you don't know about attachment style that's a whole nother whole nother discipline whole nother study that you can get into about attachment style but there's some great resources on websites like um, psych- like psychology websites that actually yeah. have real data attached to them. Right. And, you know, you're not Dr. Google. Don't go out there and just look at everything and anything.
1: Yeah, um, you can. Um, a good place to start would be um, just Googling John Bowlby or Mary Ainsworth. They're the uh, attachment experts. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay.
1: So just, you know, just look up there <laughs> those, and you'll find a lot of good stuff.
0: Say those so names you, one more time.
1: John Bowlby.
0: B-O-L-B-Y?
1: Yes, and Mary Ainsworth.
0: Mary Ainsworth, okay.
3: So you you talked about um, noticing uh, patterns, I should say, and then teasing out if those are environmental, if those are situational. Um, And and once you determine that those are are not situational, like um, something Mm -hmm. happened, Mm-hmm. What is the next step in in determining the mental health of a child at that point?
1: Um, yeah, so depending on the age, I would definitely reach out to your pediatrician um, first. Um, a lot of times they will then rule out any like physical, physical factors um -hmm. you know especially when when it comes to like the somatic complaints um they'll look at gi issues and things like that um because a lot of of children don't know how to explain anxiety or depression um or Mm -hmm. other mental illnesses so um it's a lot of ruling out in a in observation Mm. um so yeah talking to your pediatrician um i have found that some pediatricians will be very dismissive um and then you find a new pediatrician um because you are the parent or caregiver you're the expert on that child and if you feel like something's wrong then something's wrong and it could end up that it's that it's you and you are just like very anxious and worried but you're gonna find that out through (laughs) through a professional yeah and then you can get help for that so um
3: but there's not like a there's not like a multi uh minnesota multifaceted Personal inventory for kids, right?
1: Um, there is several inventories um, based on age. A lot of them start around age six. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some that are like preschool age, two to five. Um, but again, it's it's mostly um, parent or caregiver input and observation.
0: Got it. So let's move on because we just talked about question one <laughs> out of 10. Let's uh we have a list of questions that we're going to try to get through. Um, and I don't want to race through them, but maybe some of them will be more easily answered. And then we can go back to some of these other topics. Uh, do you, when you sit with a child or you sit with a parent and a child um, in your situation, is, and, and in school that, that takes up, at least in my children's lives, it takes up a lot of time during their day. They have access to resources in that school. And in our school district, it seems like that there's quite a number of resources, always underfunded, always understaffed, but there's, there's a lot of resources, um, in my children's school district. And what is your approach? Like when you, is it, so you just start sitting down with a child and they start telling you things and it's talking like a like a cognitive behavioral talking back and forth. What's your approach to teasing out these things in children? What do you say to them or what do you do with them?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a few favorites um, depending on the situation and the appropriateness of, of the case. Um, I, I do use CBT a lot cognitive behavioral therapy, um, because it can be used in, um, as a brief solution focused approach. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, we talk a lot in schools about goals. Um, Mm -hmm. so we are wanting to have the child and if the child's not old enough, um, the caregiver, the teaching team, whoever's working with that child to, um, kind of find a goal and work toward that goal. Um, and if the goal isn't working, we invite the team of people to disregard that plan and come up with another plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I use a lot of the time. Um, I also work um using dialectical behavioral therapy, which is DBT. Um, and that is used primarily in the schools with kids in crisis, um, because Mm. we talk a lot about um, distress tolerance and figuring out um, a way to distract um, from the crisis so that we can move on and Mm. um, find different coping skills. Um, But Mm. so we use that, um, my team uses that with like kids that that are suicidal, or kids that have um, made threats. Um, So pretty kind of high level crisis situations. Um, And then with the Um, little guys, I really.
0: Before you move on from that, before we go to the little ones. uh, DBT, unpack what DBT is, because a lot of people know what cognitive behavioral therapy, talking therapy. When we go to our counselor, we're sitting there, you lay on a couch hopefully not, but you know, the old, uh, the, right. the old psychology, you know, your therapist is sitting there talking to you, unpacking your brain. Um, what is DBT?
1: Yeah. So DBT was created, um, in the seventies by Dr. Marshall lineman. And she, um, it's kind of a kind of a, a, runoff of CBT because it uses a lot of the same, um, the same you know um, or... yeah the same self-talk and figuring out mm-hmm. negative thinking patterns and things like that um but it's really um its main goals are to teach people how to live in the moment so there's a lot nice. of mindfulness involved in mm-hmm. finding your wise mind and walking the middle path um and to also develop healthy ways to cope with stress and regulate emotions um So in the schools, um, we use it in conjunction. We try and get families involved. Um, So family is working alongside a youth to um, build distress tolerance um, and work on ways to walk the middle path. So yes, it's true I'm having suicidal ideation and it's also true that my life is worth living and Mm we find that way to walk in the middle so Mm -hmm. that I... I can be okay, and I can keep working on my things that I need to work on, and not end my life. So mm. um, that's kind of that's kind of what that looks like in schools.
0: So DBT is useful for for adults as well. Um, yeah, it's an so actual it's program. Like, yeah, it's the, the only
1: proven um, therapy that has been successful with um, borderline personality disorder. Um, hmm. and it's also used a lot with, um, people suffering from eating disorders.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So DBT, I've had two people in my life go through the entire, it's like in a series, like a, an entire program for adults. And I have seen great progress in these two individuals over this time. One person that I know went through it twice, um, And then they were told, you know, all the tools you can't go through it. a third time (laughs) you have to graduate from DBT. Uh, But both of my friends that have gone through it, one was suicidal. Most of her life Um, still has suicidal ideation, uh, still struggles, but yet has massive, major helpful tools to help her navigate through, like you said, down the middle of not wanting to die and wanting to die and so let's find a middle way um and also then a gentleman that i know um, has had great success so that is something that we can really encourage our listeners that if you want to explore dbt talk to your uh, licensed professional counselor therapist psychiatrist psychologist that you're seeing and have them refer you to a dbt specialist and it could be very 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 helpful so do you find parents being in the way
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes but not very often most most um parents and caregivers really really want the best for their kids and you have to kind of wait them out sometimes, because when you tell a parent or a caregiver that their child is is ill, it's scary. And yeah. especially yeah. mental illness, like, you know, just, it would be the same if you if you told a parent their child has cancer. Like, you don't know if they're gonna get better or not. Yeah. It's really scary. So you kind of have to give them time and grace and give them information and kind of, you know sometimes that relationship with the parent is an intervention in itself because mm. once you get that buy-in from parents the world can change for that kid and i think a lot of a lot of things that a lot of times i tell parents like your child is the exact same person they were before you heard this information so your child mm. hasn't changed nothing's different about them mm. it's just You are now different because you have this information. Mm. So just reminding them that 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 child's the same, the same person with the Mm. same strengths and the same resiliencies and the same challenges. And now we know we have this information and we can continue to work together to help the child.
0: Gosh, that was so good. I almost, can I just take that (laughs) and use that? (laughs) Oh man that is some some things when when those things are said, your child is the same person that they were five minutes ago before you learn this new information. Sometimes we as parents, I do. I get scared when my daughters, you know, something happens like physically. Oh, my gosh. You know, they're going to die. We have to take them to the hospital. Um, My kids were sick. They had, you know, colds and they were just super sick and those thoughts go through my mind of how about if she gets really sick um so it is scary when you hear that your child is ill in any way Mm -hmm. and then to have a professional look at you and say your child is at risk of mental illness Mm -hmm. that would just be a scary moment
1: yeah and a lot of times there's guilt um Mm -hmm. because Mm the The parent feels like they did something wrong, or like if they would have done this differently, then maybe that that wouldn't have happened. And sometimes that's true.
3: Yeah. Most
1: (laughs) most of the time, it's not, and it's
3: Hmm.
1: um, and even when it is true, it's not because typically it's not because the parent was trying to cause a mental illness. It was because they were doing their best, and you know they Mm -hmm. weren't resourced or skilled or didn't have you know these these people supporting them and. Right. some system failed them at some point and now you know their child is they suffering
3: had, they had the tools that they had and they were doing the best that they could
1: right yeah so um so yeah i think practitioners typically spend a lot of time um you know encouraging the parent mm. uh, you know letting them know that it's not it's nobody's fault it's not a you know just like cancer just like the diabetes in children, it's not someone's fault. It's a disease. And now we know this information and there's things we can do about it.
0: Hmm. Right. Trey, you want to jump in on anything? Do you have any thoughts coming out?
2: I, I have a question, but it's not quite formed yet. Um, okay. I'm, I'm curious about, um, with a parent's experience, like, do you find that, um, after their child receives a diagnosis, do you find that um, parents are more interested in looking into their own mental health? Do you find yourself Mm. um, being able to provide more tools for parents?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, especially when a child starts um, counseling or therapy, um, usually um, the parent thinks that they're just gonna send their child to therapy Mm and mm. the child It'll is going to
3: card and
1: then they realize oh like you want to see me too because the way that i interact <laughs> with my child whether or not it was my fault the, the right. way that i interact with my child impacts mm-hmm. the way they right. um, experience life and i can do things different to help them be more successful yeah. so mm. um, that's great yeah I, I think a lot of parents think yeah it's going to be uh, a their therapist and them thing, and then they realize it's like a family systems thing, and
2: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: it can help everybody. And then they're like, "Oh, I'm doing this because my parent did that," and then um, it it kind of becomes mm-hmm. like a snowball effect. And then a lot of people do seek their own their own treatment.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Well, with any therapy that I've done with my children, my own experience is eventually if your counselor, your licensed professional counselor is holistic about their approach, you're going to end up in In that counseling room. Eventually you're going to be a part of it as a parent. Um, Hey, we want to do a checkup with you and give you some information about your kid. And how are you dealing with this? And what are you, what are your challenges? And I end up in therapy myself, uh, when, uh, when my, when my, I, I go to the, the parent meeting. So eventually we're gonna end up there at some point either to help our children or to help ourselves. And so it's mm-hmm. it's something that I think that we just need to talk about more that it's okay to end up in counseling mm-hmm. and it's okay to end up in, in a therapy, whether it be DBT or, mm-hmm. or a, a traditional counseling therapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's also important to say that um, treatments treatment is um behind a lot of barriers for a lot of people it costs mm. a lot of money um, mm. it's not available um on some insurance plans there's huge wait lists yes
3: um, there's a, a council larger counseling facility near us and i know that their wait list was almost a year and a half long
2: mm-hmm.
3: mm. and just yeah severe shortage
2: yeah
1: and and that's that's for everybody and for kids that are really in crisis like kids that are you know have a suicide plan their wait is 90 days before Mm. they get into a provider i mean they can always go to a crisis clinic but that's not someone that's gonna be having a relationship with them and yeah um, it might get them nine
3: days but yeah
1: yeah it is a problem
0: so let's talk about the obscure things when I think about mental illness I think about that person just walking down the street screaming at themselves or screaming Mm -hmm. at the world Um, Mm -hmm. I think about the word schizophrenia Mm -hmm. I think about uh, the parent that kills their kids So we always have these like extreme examples in our culture. What, what causes
3: extreme? Yes,
0: yeah, it is extreme. I think about the suicide, the person that I know that walked up onto the porch of their girlfriend's house and put a gun to their head and shot themselves in front of their girlfriend and mother, you know, these extreme, extreme cases of mental illness is where does that come from? Help us to, to identify because we don't, I don't want people to think, okay, I'm suffering from depression. I'm going to end up killing my family. Um, So where does, where does the,
2: ext-
0: what did you say?
1: I said, that's good that you don't want people to think that. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't want people to think that, Um, but certain things can lead to that. And, and so is there a delineation between the extreme cases and the the general, is there like a general mental illness versus an extreme mental illness?
1: Yeah, so there's a different category. So there's like a, a moderate mental illness and then a severe mental illness. Um, the things you're talking about. Um, you know, are like sociopathic tendencies, um, and that is rare. Um, I don't have statistics, um, before 2016, but it was about 1% of people with diagnosed mental illness, um, were, had like a severe mental illness like that. Um, and I think some things that can contribute to getting to that point is the average delay between the onset onset of mental illness and, um. Treatment is
0: eleven years. Wow. So, so, so the time that somebody starts experiencing just a general moderate mental illness mm-hmm. to when they actually get help
1: mm-hmm.
0: is eleven years. Yeah. Average.
1: And those are the people that get treatment. So, if you right. think about that, right. People that don't get treatment. So mm. the people that don't have access to treatment or the people that, um, have been told by the church that they shouldn't get treatment. Right, um, those right. are not getting treatment and it, you know, it is a snowball effect. It can, you know, you are mentally ill. You have these experiences, you become more mentally ill until the point where you cannot, you know, you cannot your own brain. It's not, it's no longer you.
3: Hmm. So there was a, the idea I thought of is when I've read about schizophrenia in the past, it's been a early twenties to mid twenties experience where that's the most onset. Is that, is that, do you feel and find true with that? Or are you seeing it younger and younger into children?
1: Yeah, it's, it's much younger. Um, I think, um, I think um probably kids as young as like nine have been diagnosed with schizophrenia that could be wrong but it's around that time like early Mm -hmm. like tween tween years um Mm. and um they haven't at this point they haven't found a reason except for um you know undiagnosed and un- untreated trauma, traumatic mm. experiences that have been, um, that have suppressed been un- and yeah, su- suppressed, and like ignored. Because a yeah. lot of kids that have that series of mental illness have parents or caregivers that also mm. have that um, you
2: know, that mm. type
1: of mental illness. Right. And um, as you probably know. Our, um, our child protective services and human services are, um, not the best social services, not because of ill intent, but because of funding and time and resources and Mm -hmm. things like that. And, um, people aren't the stress piles on and the poverty piles on and the oppression piles on, Mm -hmm. um, piles on, and then there isn't additional resources.
0: Yeah. yeah. So mental illness, it seems, has always, for history, has been underfunded, understaffed, underrecognized. But when it happens, when, when this goes undiagnosed for the 11 years and this person walks into a school and shoots it up, you know, it's like, well, that has to be mental illness. And so we have to... We have to start addressing um, this at the core, and I wish that we would remove these stigmas and really focus on, okay, what are some causes, fault or no fault, what are the causes, and how can we get people some some help? So with one of those trauma things, a child walks into you, and they sit down, and you say, hey, how's your day? I want to commit suicide. What do you say to them?
1: Um, do you have a plan? Wow. I know that sounds like <laughs> super,
2: <laughs> oh, super
1: wow. insensitive, but that's what I have to ask because, um, contrary to popular belief, talking about suicide or self-harm does not cause children to commit suicide mm. or self-harm.
0: Right.
1: Um, I need to be asked directly. It actually shows love and care. Um, Absolutely. when you ask directly. um, So I I do, I normally, that's the first question that I would ask is, um, do you have a plan? And a lot of times their plan is very vague or like, uh, but when it's not very vague, when it's very specific and they have access to those things that um, they want to use, then then there's different protocols and such. So Mm. um, yeah, so there's, In schools, there's a very, very structured protocol with suicide screenings um, to be done by um, at least two mental health professionals um, and consultation with people and debriefing and parent contact and um, crisis center if necessary, depending on the level of severity and Mm. an ongoing safety plan, ongoing counseling and, um, and all of that
0: and then Mm self-harm like if a cutter scratcher what what do you say to them
1: um that is more i i definitely we definitely talk about suicide in that in that meeting um self-harm is not typically considered suicidal ideation um depending on the harm of course if they're cutting their throat that's a little bit different but um, cuts on the wrist, things like that. It's you know, it's a numbing sensation, just like drinking or sex or alcohol, drugs. Um, it's it's something to numb emotional pain. Mm. So mm. Um, that's often where that conversation goes. Um, with with other supports, of
0: course. Yeah, yeah. What kind of drug use are you seeing in the schools right now? Like we live in the Portland metro area. And so what are you, you know, the whole fentanyl conversation is out there. What are you seeing kids like getting into now? What is the drug of choice?
1: Um, The word on the streets is there's a lot of pot and shrooms. And um, there's definitely uh, like harder drugs, um, but they are very like hush hush. There's a whole like um system and situation and like, you know, there's TikTok and Snapchat and all these things that um are really hard to um figure out where it's coming from. There's, you know, kids that have drug dealers show up there at their houses because they message them on TikTok or um wow. so it it's it's pretty different than when I was a kid. Um, oh, yeah.
0: You can just call Grubhub now and get your pot at your door. Yeah. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the... I didn't
0: mean to say Grubhub out loud, but no, nothing against them.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, there's yeah. a definite increase and rise in um, substance abuse disorders in younger and younger children. So we say like pot's not addictive, but when you start smoking pot or eating edibles at When you're in sixth or seventh grade and you continue to do that all day every day um you become addicted and it might not be to the substance but it's definitely to that um that feeling um yeah Yeah. the 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 numbness the um you know so it and then when that doesn't work anymore then you find something else that does um yeah so With,
3: with this what what type of resources have gotten better since you've started do you feel like like there's something you point to and say, this has actually gotten better
1: like with drugs specifically
3: well drugs uh like any any anything that we've talked about so far
1: yeah i um i think one of the big things is that addition of social workers in schools Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um my district employs um social workers at every building and um they're very helpful in engaging with families and finding Mm -hmm. outside of school supports for families Mm -hmm. um meeting basic needs um Mm -hmm. so that parents can focus on their child's health um so if you know if they have food and rent they can more likely focus on their child's health and they're always at work so i think that's been a big improvement overall. Um, and then we also have, um, drug and alcohol counselors that we can refer to for kids that are really struggling. Um, we have the Hawthorne walk-in clinic, which isn't school-based, but, Mm -hmm. um, we were for a lot of families there. Um, Mm. and there's a lot more outside agencies that have partnered with schools, um, and, um, made it easier for the school teams to speak with the providers and outside agencies to collaborate on care plans and safety plans and all of those things.
0: So let's talk about LGBTQIA+. So a child comes in, they're young, let's say they're 11, 12, maybe younger, and they i don't know how they would articulate it to you um but they come out either as gay to you or they come out as trans or they might say i experiencing this feeling of being the opposite gender of what i am or a different gender than what i am mm-hmm. uh, what is the best for parents what what would you recommend for somebody like me that okay i have this child that just came out um what do you say to the child what's the best course of action stimulus pause then respond yeah.
1: <laughs> so like as a parent you're saying or as a caregiver of a child yeah yes um so i have some but also
0: what to, also what you say too like how do you if, what's your? if you can eventually? say that i'm yeah, not if sure if can, you can yeah. yeah
1: so what i say is um very affirming um, of a child's identity. I'm very, I feel very fortunate to work in a state where we can say gay, um, and I would never work in a state where we couldn't. Um, I think that is a huge civil rights violation. Anyway, um, in Oregon, we do not have to share a child's um, shared gender identity or sexual identity with the family if the child doesn't want it to be shared unless there's a situation in which the child would be harmed if we didn't share it
3: mm-hmm.
1: um and it gets tricky and i personally i'm always working with a child to um support them and help them to come to a point where they can come out to their family because i think that's really important especially as the child gets older um And I've been in a situation where I've offered to like zoom with the family so that I can Mm. be there with the child when they tell their parent. And, um, luckily and fortunately I've had really good experiences with Mm. that. Um, but I know a lot of kids haven't had good experiences with that because they've told me about it. Um, so parents or caregivers, um, if your child at any age, um, comes out as whatever, um, do so do's and don'ts do thank them for telling you mm. do ask them how you can support them mm. and do seek support for yourself because mm. you will feel some way about it. No matter how woke you are, um, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll feel a way and. Yeah. Um, If your child is older and it's more likely that this is really who they are, um, you will have grief about the life you thought they would have um, and the life you, um, the easier way that it would be for them. Um, So seek support for yourself. Mm. Um, Don't, please, this is going to be hard. (laughs) So the do's
0: and now the don'ts. So we're going to just go over don'ts.
1: Yeah. This is is much more difficult. Don't tell them it's just a phase. Mm -hmm. Even if they're Mm. eight years old, don't tell them it's a phase. It might be, but you don't need to tell them that. They'll figure it out. Um, Don't tell them, no, you're not. Or are you sure? Because if they're telling you, especially if they're telling you after an amount of time and you know, they do the whole, like mom, sit down. I need to tell you something. Um, it's because they believe this about themselves and they need you to believe it too.
3: Enough to actually make that important. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, don't ignore it. Um, and by ignore I mean, don't act like it's not a big deal. Like, Oh, okay, sure um because that's just you know dismissive and Mm -hmm. they're trying to tell you something really important and what if this is their only coming out story and that's how you reacted like you you want them to remember this as something positive like Mm -hmm. i told my parents a really really big thing and they didn't care um so just think about that and then don't please don't use religion or a personal belief to shame them.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: that's great. Thank you. Very Wonderful. good. So, <laughs> I have not personally uh, experienced that um, with my children, but I've I've walked alongside parents that have, mm-hmm. and many many times because we have you know you in our lives and we have you know, other people like you in our lives that have coached us on how to, um, talk and respond and guide, you know, somebody that is coming out, um, which has been very helpful to have a community of people around somebody like me. It's like, how do I respond to this as a pastor? How do I respond to this as, you know, a friend? I've also in my olden days <laughs> been a part of years. those conversa- olden years go yeah uh, been a part of those conversations and they have not gone well at all and and today, I don't have relationships with those people because of those conversations uh But today, because of the other, the dues, because we did these other things, I do have relationships with these people. And I think what you're saying is that how we respond builds trust, how we respond builds safety, how we respond builds love and care. So that if they, if it is a phase or if it is a moment, um, they go through and journey through that moment, and they're able to tell you other things as a parent or a friend or a pastor. Um, exactly. And we need to create those environments for our children because they're going to come out not in necessarily in a, a, a gay or LGBTQIA way, um, but they're going to admit some things to us in the future to honor the language of coming out for being gay and admitting uh, the things that we need to create environments that would help them to to share. Do you think that when we respond in very negative ways that that could potentially put that child at risk of mental illness?
1: 100%. If you're your child's security, and mm-hmm. if you have something wrong with who they are as a human being, like think of how harmful that is and think mm-hmm. of how how hurtful that could be. Your mm-hmm. parent is refusing to acknowledge your existence in the way that you see yourself. Even if it's a phase.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. It doesn't
1: matter. It's in That's the, the moment. Phase they're in. In, yeah, in the moment of that 11-year-old's life or 15-year-old's life, that is truth to them, and you're denying their truth. Mm-hmm. And it it wouldn't matter as much if a classmate said it or a teacher said it or someone mm-hmm. on the street said it, but you as their security and their provider um, and mm-hmm. the first and best relationship they have likely says that you don't acknowledge them or you don't believe them or you don't mm-hmm. think it's okay um, it's just very it's very damaging
0: mm-hmm. definitely okay. any thoughts on that from anybody else okay
2: nothing new I just really appreciate what Tiffany had to say
0: Yeah, uh, totally 100% I, was trying I to think we, was- we we live in a culture today that, um, you know, we have we need to have learned from the last, you know, 100 years of how to respond differently and to create environments differently when it comes to these really um, uh, crucible moments in people's lives and also difficult topics to talk about with like mental illness. We need to create a different culture around it. So, as a pastor, I need to ask you, like, from my perspective, looking at a faith community, how can the church respond better to these topics? Give us some advice. Like, if you were speaking authoritatively into the church right now, what would you say?
1: I think this, like, talking about it and being unapologetic about it. Like, we stand in support of mental health care, we stand in support of LGBTQ we you know we we don't care about anything else except for a human being and you're here like that's that's what we care about um i think like your apology meant something um i don't i'm it's frustrating that it probably isn't going to be said in other spaces but um i think that is huge like just acknowledging that Um, there are people that are not here anymore because, and I, and I don't mean like not here, like not in the church. I mean, like not here, like dead because they were turned away and their, Mm -hmm. their mental health didn't matter enough, um, to the church to be cared for. Um, and they kind of went by the wayside, um, and that's on us, like that's on, the people of jesus in the united states um and that's i mean it's it's really um discouraging and i think that um, in my own life i know several people that have turned away from the church because um Mm -hmm. their mental health wasn't acknowledged or because Um, they were told to go off of their medication or they were told that, no, you can't put your kid on, on medication. Um, you just need to pray about it.
0: Um, yeah, Mm. I know, I know somebody personally that was asked or was told from a pulpit to go off their medication and they did, and it wrecked his, it wrecked his existence. He just went just totally deep into mental illness. It was scary. And he just thought it was the right thing to do because the pastor in authority was speaking this word of knowledge from God and it came from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we we use our power sometimes. and uh, And even in probably, you know, let's give positive intent, the pastor didn't know and they didn't, you know, figure it out. Well, we can't say things that we don't know. And we can't just come out and, and never apologize, you know, mm-hmm. for saying those things too and taking them back. So if there's pastors out there, if you if you listen to this through the week, if you said something from your pulpits about mental illness and and uh, LGBTQIA plus and you have really spoken out against certain things, it is time to apologize. And it is time to get up in our pulpits and say, I am sorry, I need to take something back. I said this a year ago. It is not true. This is what is true. Um, There's a movie out right now called The Jesus Revolution, and it's about the Calvary Chapel and the, the Jesus movement out of the late 60s and early 70s. And everyone's all excited about this movie and all my conservative Christian friends are like, yeah, go see the Jesus revolution. It's amazing. But uh, there's a person in the movie that's depicted who was a real person. His name is Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was the evangelist that came alongside Chuck Smith and invited all the hippies off the beaches into the Jesus revolution. He was the big gatherer of all the hippies and, uh, he brought thousands and thousands and thousands of people to faith, to Christ, baptized them into the ocean, brought them under the tent of Calvary Chapel, and they started an entire huge movement all over the United States, and really all over the world. I think they have, between the Vineyard and Calvary Chapel, both movements came out of Lonnie Frisbee's work. And um, and over the course of his ministry, at some point, somebody found out that he was gay, and they kicked him out they kicked him out of the church. They excommunicated him from both movements and he then lost his way and went off and and actually contracted AIDS and died in the early 90s and died tragically. And to think about the difference that those churches could have made in Lonnie Frisbee's life if they would have just accepted him at the table too. Along with all his hippie friends they could have accepted him too as well. And so uh, so i think that we really need to think about uh these things um in our ministries all right let's do a quick little uh rapid fire if anyone I, has any I, thoughts have, sure I I have one more thing Oh, yeah. please yeah
3: can i throw something at you tiffany real quick sure That's off script so mm-hmm. being a counselor and especially a clinician like you are is especially draining mm-hmm. what do you do for your own self-care
1: Ooh. Ooh, i hate when people ask me this because i'm really I'm bad. sorry <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> no i go through phases i'm an, okay. you know normal human um yeah i sometimes i'm really good about taking care of myself and when i when i say taking care of myself i i i mean like getting enough sleep um exercising um going to the doctor when i need to go to the doctor like going to my checkups and going to the dentist. Um, those are things that sometimes get neglected when we're busy. And I think Mm -hmm. they're very, um, very important. And if you have access to them, you should use them. Um, and, uh, connection is really important to me connection with my own family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, uh, often won't talk about work when i'm at home because it's i like to compartmentalize it and um i have a really great support network um and professional colleagues that i talk with about cases Mm -hmm. so i feel supported at work and i leave it there um or i try to i can't always do that um but yeah that's what i do
0: to stay healthy thanks Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I, I want to go mine's... back to, oh.
0: oh, no, go ahead, Shreya. I'm
2: changing the topic. So. Yeah. Okay. Changing the topic back to, um, how the church can respond. Um, I was thinking about, um, the barriers to treatment that we talked about. And, and so one, what are some ways you think the church could step in and help with those barriers? And then two, what are some things that we as lay people can do to support someone while they're not able to access the services that they need?
1: Those are good questions. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I think um, if if your church can at all have some type of resource booklet or a, a page on their website that lists vetted mm-hmm. mental health, um, clinics or, um, you know, places that you know of that accept um, different types of insurances um, in your community, I think that could be really helpful for people and being able to like direct people to that. Um, Because when you're feeling overwhelmed with your life, and you are experiencing mental illness, finding a mental health provider Mm -hmm. is Really, really overwhelming. Um, mm. So, any help that the church can give in that area, um, whether it be um, like, like I said, like a resource guide, or a time um, that you set aside, like certain people set aside to help people navigate health insurance and things like that, mm-hmm. um, don't start a counseling department unless you have. <laughs> professional licensed therapists in your congregation that want to you know mm. volunteer their time but um i've seen a lot of like especially big churches have counseling departments and um it always felt really um yeah, you know, just kind of icky like mm-hmm. do these people know they're not actually going to a counselor um it's mm. it's kind of deceptive um And I feel like I would hope that those people know that if there is something serious that they need to refer out to, they would, but I don't Mm -hmm. always think that would be the case. Um, Mm. And then um, people to support friends going through mental illness, um, I think um checking in just kind of like the same things we did for people during COVID, like checking in um doing things for them without being asked to do them because again if you're having a mental illness experience um and someone says what can i do for you that's really overwhelming um and people don't really um have an answer to that all the time so doing Mm -hmm. things um you know saying Hey, I'm going to be at your house at five and we're going to go for a walk. Um, and mm-hmm. if you get there and they don't answer the door, um, then, then go in um, and make sure they're okay. But um, mm-hmm. also, you know, there's, you know, offering to call someone with someone in the crisis line if they're in crisis.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: being there in the room with them while they do that um, or um, helping them find a mental health provider. Um, if they're not able to do that because they're just feeling very overwhelmed or you know babysitting for them so that they can attend a session or um, letting them use your laptop so they can zoom with better help or something like that.
3: That's what I asked. Do, do you do you point people to online or do you majority point people to in person?
1: Um, a lot of providers um, have moved um, to have a virtual option. And I think that's been really beneficial doesn't work for everybody. Um, and there are like big companies, um, like better, better help where you can mm-hmm. like, just like text with someone. And I I've heard good things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think like those people are all licensed and they're all professional providers. So, um, I think if that was your only way to get in. Um, through one of those services, I think that would be at least a good starting point. Um, while you I've were used on used
0: it, it's it's very helpful. I've used it myself.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's really helpful if you know you don't you don't have the capacity to like yeah. be looking through um, websites think, and all that.
3: Yeah, I think too uh, that if you can't find one locally that has. BetterHelp or Talkspace is another one that's like a vetted resource. Right.
0: Yes, and let's make sure to really emphasize. I am sure that there are are online quote counselors that are providing services. If they do not have a licensed professional counseling licensure, attached to their name and they're out on these websites providing services please do not go on to those go on to things like betterhelp.com or ones that would have a licensure attached to their name a licensed professional uh, counselor um can we put some of these resources in our in our comment box because i think that those are some real like just And What was that? Talking space, Jake. There's another talk one called space, Talking yeah. Space. Talk space. Talk okay. space, yeah. Talk space. I think those are good. Sheree, did you have another question? You're just uh you answered that one. Did you have one more?
2: It was a two-powder and Tiffany got there.
0: Okay, good. Awesome. Well, as it's nine twenty-one, let's go to our little rapid fire and uh we're we've answered some of these, but I just want I want to get your just initial response um, because these things have stigma around them and some of them are toxic. Some of them are not toxic. So I want to get your uh, I want to get your just opinion on antidepressants.
1: Um, very helpful and should be used in conjunction with therapy.
0: Hmm. OK, very important, very helpful, used in conjunction with uh, it, with therapy. EMDR therapy.
1: Um, controversial and not based in research, but.
3: Whoa.
1: Has been very helpful for some people.
0: That's That's when they take a light and you follow the eyes back and forth and you retell certain trauma, reframe different Mm -hmm. things. Gender dysphoria as a mental illness.
1: Ooh. Uh, Well, okay. so gender dysphoria is when a person experiences distress because they don't feel like their body matches their their identity that they feel. Okay. So if I guess like it can cause a mental illness because of the dissatisfaction and depression that they feel that their their appearance doesn't match their their true feeling. But questioning your own body or feeling um, like your parts don't match your gender is not a mental illness.
0: So gender is a social construct and and it has multiple gender is on a spectrum in mm-hmm. a cultural context, but also biological sex is also on a spectrum because we have 42 or 52. Can't remember if it's 42 or 52. I'll have to look that up. A different genetic combination of X and Y XXX, XYY, XXY. There's just multiple um combinations of that so we need to be very careful about how we speak about such things christian counseling
1: um this is my face showing how i feel um i feel like it can be very problematic when a counselor chooses to only use I, I i sorry i feel like it can be like an ethical violation when a when a counselor chooses to only um provide christian-based counseling services um depending on their christian orientation if that makes sense so if they're very conservative mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. are one of those people that have that happen to have a mental health license and they're a mental health practitioner but their personal beliefs get in the way of their um, practice. that are therapy yeah. practice, um, that can be, uh, an ethical violation in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like as a counselor or therapist, um, you could just work with Christians because they need therapy. I don't feel like you need to be a Christian counselor.
0: Right. Conversion therapy
1: um awful and has caused a lot of pain for many people um and the person that invented it has um apologized and he is a out gay person and he um feels very deep shame about um what he has done to people in the name of god
0: yeah and being triggered
1: Um, I think that term is really overused. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think that, um, people are triggered by things. Um, and it can be a sign of, I need to look inside myself because something just happened, um, and I'm having a physiological reaction to it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then also being able to be brave enough to avoid things that are going to put your mental health in a tailspin. Um, So like, for example, you shouldn't do EMDR if you're like, in the moment experiencing trauma, like that's not a good fit Mm. for you. Um, That would be a trigger. If you are suffering from PTSD and loud noises bother you, you shouldn't go to a fireworks show. Um,
0: right. But we use the word triggered overused. Like I'm just triggered by everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, When I get into an uncomfortable situation, I Uh say I'm triggered Uh or if somebody walks in and they say a couple of very alt, uh, political-type statements, I say I'm triggered and I have to leave. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate your work. Um, and more importantly, I appreciate who you are as a human being. And I'm really thankful that you joined us tonight and that we, um, our listeners, got to just peer in a little bit and, and participate just by hearing this information. We find this information important and just the practice of talking about it. We're not claiming to be professionals as the constructionists. We're not claiming to be practitioners. We just want to openly talk about such topics to get information that are, that is uh, helpful and useful and also responsible. And so in our comments section, we have a couple of things that we want you to maybe do some deep dives for yourself. If you want to go to Um, Talkspace.com to look into online therapy. Betterhelp.com looking into online counseling. There's also a couple of uh, other links that we posted. There's the new CDC report out for children on uh, uh, screen time and the effect of screen time on mental illness. And so that's a brand new report that came out February 27th. It's a New York Times article about the report. And so know that it's written by a journalist, but it is backed by some uh, data uh, that is from the CDC. So they just released that report screen time over the last decades of uh, children's mental health. So Talkspace.com, BetterHelp.com, Just learning how to be a a mindful and a parent that pays attention. I would say we need to pay attention to our children's mental health. We don't need to deny it. We don't need to tell them that what they're experiencing is not real no matter what it is. We need to create spaces that are healthy and safe for our children to be vulnerable with us and that we can find the right resources for them. Just know that that you and me as a parent, we do not have all the equipment and the tools to help all the problems that our children face. And so therapy for our children is important, useful, and we wanna encourage that as well, not just for ourselves as, as adults, but also for our children. And we can advocate for our children in these ways. And so I'm really glad that uh, Tiffany, you joined us. Thank you for being here with us. And we hope that this message of mental illness um, and mental health goes out to as many people as possible. So if you wanted to share this episode, um, everybody that's listening tonight, share this episode with people um, just to get this information into their hands. We find it useful and we hope that people are, will be on their journey to um, to to mental health. So with that, good night, everybody. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Jake. Thank, Thank you, you Shereya, for uh, participating and joining us and being a part of this. Good night, everybody.